Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I have with me today, I've called him the statistical nihilist, and I, I think that, that that works fairly well. Uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, 538, uh, founder of the Defenses Don't Matter movement, uh, charter member of Running Backs Don't Matter. But then again, that's like such a big, there might be a smaller group of running back matterers at this point than running backs don't matterers. Uh, so he's part of that group. He also does work with Establish the Run. Uh, we had M- uh, Adam uh, Levitan on the podcast earlier, Evan Silva's operation. He does some work with his air yards model there. That's the first thing that I want to dive into with Josh. And then we're going to go and we're going to talk about, we're going to do like a draft for the AFC and the NFC, which teams we think are going to get to the Super Bowl. And uh, lots of topics will will come up there within and how we, how we view the season so far. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I think actually uh, way back when, when we were doing a pod for Roto Grinders, I think I, I threw out my defenses don't matter take. So you you were there for the genesis of this entire. I was there. Mess. I was there. So <laughs> you, 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 you got to look at me drinking the whiskey while I while I made those statements. So uh, tremendous stuff and, and happy to be on the pod. Yeah, I mean, the fun thing about what you do with with don't matter, and I think this is kind of generally why statistics are no fun and everyone wants to put the nerds in the locker is it's just there are literally thousands and thousands of hours of content, whether it's DFS and other stuff that comes out every week. And then we just jump in to be like, yeah, you know, that probably probably isn't true. What you were just what you were just talking about for the last for the last hour or so. I completely agree why it's triggering. I mean, like football is far less fun if you can't talk about the matchup. I mean, if all you're looking at is the the same five set of things for each week for each player, uh, the analysis can get stale really, really quickly. So I, I completely, uh, I understand, but I just think the the weight of it, especially from the sharp people, needs to be, hey, I'm giving you this flavor here, but be be sure to weight this stuff up top the highest. It's the most important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not the best for for selling narratives, which people love to hear, but you can get some spicy takes and it's spicy. So you can get a lot of attention from that. And that's, that's what I appreciate about what, what you bring to the table. So let's talk air yards first, because this is a weekly model that you are running. And why don't we talk, why don't we go all the way back to the, to the genesis of this, how you got into the business of, of looking at air yards, how you stumbled upon its statistical significance, all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I lucked into finding the data. I don't know if it was before anyone else, but I certainly was one of the first to find the public version of the data and apply it to fantasy. And so there's a luck box aspect to it. And I found that. And then I did some analysis while we were both at Rotoviz on it. Uh, found out that, you know, hey, uh, you know, air yards are actually pretty sticky. Uh, it's actually a pretty good predictor of future uh, performance. And And so, the question then was, well, what, what does it actually predict? And it, and, it, and it predicts itself well, but it doesn't actually correlate in sample too terribly well with fantasy points. And like, so there was this kind of disconnect that was happening when I was looking at the numbers. Um, but what I finally landed on was that opportunity itself is the thing um, that we know leads in and out of sample, especially, especially with targets. Uh, in and out of sample to fantasy points. And so I, I said, well, maybe this is a lever. Maybe this is like a leading indicator for future fantasy points. And so I started creating a model to try and do that. And that's what the air yards by low model basically became. Um, I want to be very clear. Air yards are a, a smaller portion of, of what makes it um, work. Targets are, are about twice as important, but, uh, but it's still, and it depends on the week. I mean, every, every week it's different, but, uh, but, but they are what differentiated it for a few years. And uh, now I think everyone's kind of doing something with air yards. So uh, 
uh, while I still think my model is really good, the, the market certainly is caught up. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone is doing, I mean, so football is, as we know, a little bit different than other sports, as any head coach will tell you, it's not baseball. That's the first thing they'll, they'll tell you immediately when it comes to, when it comes to stats. I mean, there is some truth in how you're able to interpret the data, but at the same time, what you're able to do versus what some others are able to do when it comes to things like air yards and targets, like you mentioned, you can look at targets, you can look at yards after catch, you can look at air yards, but how do you bring all these things together into a model? So why don't you tell me what, what other inputs do we have into that and what is the process for bringing that all together? Yeah. So, I mean, I have a bunch of other stuff and I've, I've tried new models. Um, and I think, uh, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but I, I think like, uh, I have a model with play action. I think it's really important. But the problem with that is that teams don't use it enough for it to be terribly useful from a modeling perspective. And we don't have historical data of teams using play action at high clips so that we can actually make really good predictions to the future. I mean, I, it, so it's a problem, but I do think there's a lot of value there. And, and I do see um, the players I was in, in kind of implying this today when I was tweeting about this, but uh players that tend to have those breakout games often are being targeted on play action plays. And, and it's because those are the explosive plays in pass in the passing game. Often um, it's often the case. And so uh, I think that's going to be an important factor moving forward. But uh, the, the model that I use currently, the one that's uh, that uh, people like um, is mostly, is mostly opportunity. Um, it's, it does have racer in there. It does have the quarterback, a little bit of the quarterback's performance in the form of CPOE. But it, I mean, really what it is, is it's, it's, it's trying to distill down um, uh, a player's opportunity separate from his actual production. And this, this really only works for wide receivers that I've found. Um, and, and if you do that, and when I say that, I mean relative to the market. Um, and, and, and so, you know, you take that opportunity, you say, what, what should he have gotten? What should he have scored in terms of points? Um, was he above or below that expectation? And it turns out that for a host of reasons, and you can read about them on established around. I hate to just pimp the article, but it's just really long winded. There's a host of reasons why that can give you an edge. Um, and if even two of them hit, you might have a, a good week for yourself in DFS. Now you threw out racer there for the, for the unaccustomed to, to the model. It's, it's a type of, it's like an efficiency metric, I guess you could call it, right? Yeah. way of thinking about it is um, it's the amount of actual yardage on the field, the yards gained per uh, air yard thrown out, thrown out a guy. So it combines okay. yak and, and, and uh, catch rate. Okay. Now it's interesting. You mentioned play action because when I was doing some modeling for expected fantasy points, now the thought is that play action, one of the reasons at least that it's useful is that it buys the quarterback time so that receivers can get further down the field and that, that pass, that extra depth of pass, that extra air, the extra air yards you're getting on those passes are, are going to make it more efficient. But when I was doing modeling where I had, you know, you have the pass depth as, as an input already, uh, or the air yards as an input, it being play action still made it seem, it still made it, it still was that much more efficient of a pass. So it wasn't just that they're getting further downfield. I guess the theory then would be that they're getting more, more open also with play action. More separation, uh, a more defined read, I think, is, is kind of what you're, what you're looking for there. So you make, you make QBs that perhaps are not the best at uh, kind of play processing, and you're giving them a really clear look at the field. And then their natural talent come. I mean, they're good. Um, they're good players. They made it to the NFL. Um, I just think that there are factors in the NFL that can, 
you know, can just overshadow their natural ability. And one of them is the mental aspect of the game. And I think play action really clarifies the field uh, for, for a quarterback. Now, this is getting a little bit off topic, but since we're talking about play action, I wanted to, this, this focus on play action, like you said, it's not something that has been around for, for 10 years. It's really been like, if you talk about, you're going to chart, if you wanted to do a little analysis on the usage of play action in articles and talk, it's been like exponential growth these, these last few years that it's gone on. And one of the teams that I find very interesting is the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers because they have been at a high pass rate with Ben Roethlisberger and they've always been an extremely low play action rate. Now, I don't know if you have any, any theories there, but you, you know, like it simplifies the read. Could it be that certain types of quarterbacks, maybe a, uh, maybe a Roethlisberger, someone who can process, could they be, could they be benefiting some way from not using play action? Is there a possibility? Do you think? I think it's dependent on the, the quarterback being comfortable turning his back to the defense. I think that's something that people have talked about. And I think it's a soft factor. I think it's one of those things that's, you know, case by case. And if you have a quarterback like Big Ben and he's saying, I don't like it, you know, it's going to be really hard to force him to do it, even if it's better for the team overall. Um, but I look, I don't want to make too much of it, but I but today or so far this year, uh, teams that run play action, the 10th, you know, from number 10 all the way up to number one are, are 22 and eight. And, and I, and I think that, you know, oftentimes you can say, well, well, you found a spurious correlation, but I mean, we, anytime any of us look at play action, you can see it's the most effective play type in all of football. It's the most efficient. So it doesn't take too much to draw, draw a line, a causative arrow from running play action to winning. I mean, you're scoring more points. You would expect to win more. Um, I, I think, I think that uh, this year, we have four teams that are among the top six uh, in the past 20 years in, in, in play action rate so far. And they're doing it in an interesting way to start the season. And I think it's absolutely genius. And the reason why is because you don't need to establish the run. You actually come out and you're running play action. They're already thinking it's play. It's, it's going to be a run. And so the play action is absolutely effective early. And I wonder, and, and this is the thing I'm kind of actually hopeful for is if we get a lot of teams doing this early and they're running lots of play action, the, then the defense starts to start playing pass, and now we have efficient running games. And I think that would be great for football. It would be a great kind of like, if you want to talk about throwing nerds in the locker, I mean, that would be tremendous for all involved. Like, they would be able to say, hey, look, the, the run is back. And, uh, and, and, you know, we would be able to, we would know in our, in our very kind of snarky, you know, holier-than-thou way that it was the, the pass setting up the run. But it would be, still be great to see the run come back. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's been predicted for a while. This this flip back, um, it hasn't quite happened. I mean, I made jokes about how the the Titans to start the season they ran a couple of play action passes in in a row. Um, the, the Rams are running tons and tons of play action. So yeah, it's it's been established. You ran Derrick Henry a, a billion times last year. I think it's I think it's I think it has been established for this year. Okay, let's let, let's get back onto air yards before I for before I get off on too many other topics here. So why don't we talk about going into the fourth week of the season. Um, first off, what do we what, what do we how, how much do we know now versus later in the season with the, with this model? Not not only how much do we know, but how much more how likely it is that we can find this kind of undervalued type of guy at this point in the season versus versus once we collect more data. What, what do you think about that? I think there we're really well. So this is the first week that the model is fully powered. It's got three weeks of data, and uh, it's fully a real- powered. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a rolling three week model. So this is this is the first week oh, where it's, it's it's fully powered. 
Um, and, and, and that's good. But I think in terms of like, again, there's all these different edges you're trying to find. First, you're trying to say, all right, what did DraftKings or whatever, wherever DFS site you're playing on, what, what are they valuing the guy at? And that's one way of saying he's a buy low. But then you also have to beat the market, right? The market might be on a guy who's lower uh, valued or, or, excuse me, lower priced. But, you know, if he's high owned, then you lose a lot of your edge. Um, and so you're trying to combine those two things. And uh, at this point in the season, I think we have an edge over DraftKings, but everyone has been studying these last three games like crazy. We didn't have football. Everyone is on this. When we're five weeks from now, I mean, or three weeks from now or two, two weeks from now, it's a little harder for people just to remember. Well, unless they're doing this objectively, unless they have their own model, it gets a little harder for the public to figure out what actually they should be sorting through and what signal and what's noise. Should they still be incorporating week one and week two anymore? Like those are the questions where I I think people have a tougher time answering um, and where the model really starts to shine. So uh, in terms of, again, I want to make two points. Like, so the model is always good against DK but the model isn't always good against the public anymore. And so finding that second part where you get both of them together is where you can really make a difference uh, in a GPP lineup. Now rolling three weeks. So does that mean as we're progressing to the season, we're only looking back three weeks. We're not going back further than that. And that seems, I mean, it seems to me uh, just, and I mean, without studying anything, just intuition would be that air yards while some while stickier than some other stats aren't that sticky. Um, so maybe you would be losing more, more signal that you'd want to, if you're throwing out stuff beyond um, that's more than three weeks old. So the, the problem is, is the older stuff. I mean, you can build a model where you don't completely throw it out where it just mm-hmm. decays. Um, I just, I found it the simpler one worked just as good. Um, and, and, but I think that, the closer you mirror the way NFL teams actually think about game planning, um, I think there's a fidelity to that that I think is useful. Um, the numbers, four weeks, three weeks, they're all kind of similar. If you add in all weeks to date, you do improve certain aspects of the model. But, you know, again, we're trying to just look at – we're trying to just look at um, – opportunity and more than that recent opportunity because we want to take advantage again of this market's view of the player currently and um like just in one week odell beckham saw a 500 decrease in his dk price and and it's not really i don't know it's not really supported by his by his by, by the numbers that i think are important um and so he's back on the buy low model and so things like that and i think as the as the season progresses that three-week rolling really helps you spot those kind of irrational drops in value um, uh, from DK at least uh, more clearly. Now, does the three-week rolling also help with avoiding um, the redacted redacted players? Now, these are players that you. Uh, I'm trying to think of like if anyone if anyone embodied redacted, it was probably Kelvin Benjamin back in his his Buffalo Buffalo Bills days, and that was basically just a player who kept on showing up on the model, but it was like a, a fool me once, shame on shame on you situation and it was like fool me seven straight weeks uh type of thing so it, it, does that does that help with that and is and how much of a concern is is that i guess in in the process it is a concern um and that is a big reason why i like doing the three-week polling so we're no longer capturing that signal from that week one weirdness um sometimes teams will just come out and do the exact thing that you expect um sometimes many years in a row teams who had deep threats would come out and target Deshaun Jackson. Like it, it was just part of their plan. Um, and, and I think that there's something about week one that's different. 
Um, it's it, no one has any information. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too far in the weeds about my, my completely narrative driven thoughts about what happens at week one game planning, but uh, I, I think it's different. Um, and, and so, yeah, you want to start down weighting that stuff. And so the way I did it, like I said, was just three week rolling and, and it works fine. Four weeks, probably just as good, but you do hang on to players like Kelvin Benjamin longer than perhaps you should. And I think that's a downside to the model because I make no attempt to sift through which of these are good plays and which are not. Um, I think that you can too often, there's this thing called algorithm, algorithm aversion that Cade Massey wrote about. And I just, I think it's, it's, it's very easy for you to overweight your own unobjective knowledge and ruin the signal that you're getting from the thing that you just put this, all this work into making in, in terms of the model. And so um, while we at 538 Adam Labatani actually puts in a lot of really cool context, um, the one thing I've asked him not to do is to take anyone off the model. Like, go ahead and prop up these guys if you think that they're a better play, but we need to keep in even these guys you think are absolute shit plays because you just never know. Yeah, no, I, I know that Adam writes an article around it. I think that's important. I mean, yeah, studies have shown that even the most opaque model is going to perform better. I mean, if it's well-tuned and it's a, it's a good model, it's going to perform better whether or not people have kind of an intuitive understanding of what's, of what's happening or not. But but people aren't going to follow something as well. Um, I mean, they'll follow it as long as it, if you say you're hitting every single week. I guess we'll follow what some some tout will tell you what, what they're doing. You have no idea what it is as, as long as the numbers are good. So Odo Beckham is an interesting guy because he has redacted potential, I feel like. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see, we'll see if, if he gets there because he's a guy I keep on having projected too high in our, in our fantasy projectors because of the fact that you, you just have to give him a, a pretty decent target share. And, and he is getting longer targets he's not it's not dink and dunk sort of thing with him also so those two things combined just get you to a to a decent number so let, let, let's talk week week four i think the cat's out the bag with odell so it was presumably he's on there um what other players would people be surprised by that you're seeing that may have a strong week four i won't give the surprise one yet but i will give okay. the one everyone's talking about because it it, it shows you that i think people have gotten sharper and that's dj moore he doesn't have any touchdowns but I mean, he's clearly the alpha in that offense. Now, is that the greatest offense? No. But when you have an alpha in an offense like he is, um, I think he's got 50% of the team's area yards by my numbers, 25% target share. I mean, this is a guy who is getting all the opportunity in the world and people are worried because he just hasn't scored a touchdown, which we know is a high variance event. So uh, just, you know, you chase you chase the important stats. You chase the volume on this in this regard. So DJ Moore, 5,600 on DraftKings this week probably going to be, you know, really high owned and, and not, not a great play in a GPP, but maybe in cash, he's, he's a great play. Um, in terms of guys that maybe other people aren't on, I'll give you one. Uh, Nikhil Harry, uh, people think he is bad at football. He's like, he has, he has Kelvin Benjamin vibes. See, see, that's what I mean. And, and that's actually, for me, that makes me excited because that means he's going to be low owned. That means that all these other narratives are working against his ownership and Yet, Nikhil Harry has, uh, let me see, I don't think I pulled it up. Nope, I don't have his actual numbers. But he still is getting a relatively large portion of that passing offense, and and he is getting a lot of their play-action targets. So when he does hit, it's going to be for big gains. And uh, and so anyway, I think he's he's just like a really nice buy-low guy. Yeah, yeah, I have him at a 25% target share, and he's running 80% of the snaps, so it's not like he's he, he's not out there. Um 
mean, those are big numbers. I guess they the the passing game there suffered at least the first couple of well, the first week from low volume. The second week, uh, higher volume. Everything went to Edelman. But yeah, no, I, I and he fumbled that ball out of the back of the end zone. Week right. one, all those different things. So I mean, I'm with you. It's too early to write these write this guy off. But for some reason. The, the 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 ideas around what a wide receiver should or shouldn't be has really changed so much because I remember when I first was kind of dabbling in the fantasy game, you know, five, six years ago, it was all about, you know, kind of shitting on these little separator guys and talking right. about how they were worthless in fantasy. And, you know, you wanted the uh, Andre Johnsons, you wanted the Josh Gordons, you wanted like those are the guys that, that that you wanted, who you know, Alshon Jeffrey types when, when he first came out. And now that it's kind of flipped back around, but I think it, it may have flipped flipped too far for everyone saying, I I need a, a Terry McLaurin versus a, a, a Nikhil Harry Blair. I mean, I love McLaurin, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying that there may be less separation between not quote unquote separation, no pun intended between those two than, than people are, than people think. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, I, I think there's also some good narrative stuff that, that supports him too. If, if that's what you need to work yourself into, into, into pushing the button on him. And I think it's like uh, cam in the pocket looks really good this year. Like he's not just looking to run. And when he does run, it's really, really good for the team and it keeps the chains moving. So I think, I think, uh, I think the entire offense has kind of been undervalued and our priors on, on their loss of, of Tom Brady are maybe still sticking with people. Nikhil Harry isn't a great talent, uh, but anytime you have someone, I, I, he's kind of like DJ Moore in some ways. DJ's a little smaller, but like, I mean, they're not outrageously athletic. They're not incredible at separation. And and then it's just, they get it done, right? They just seem to earn those targets. And, uh, and so I'm not one to question um, a player who, uh, you know, when he's on the field, uh, they decide to waste it down on. Yeah, I mean, he got tremendous college production, which is something people liked. He was involved in the rushing game, which is something else that people like. And obviously, guys like Edelman have been very productive in that offense without being uh, uber athletic separators. Um, okay, who, 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 so we got we got our Kelvin Benjamin twenty twenty, uh, which I think most people probably already already put him already put him in that bucket. Uh, who, who else do we got? Well, I'll tell you who isn't on there. Mike Williams is off, and that's a huge relief to me. Um, I. I was getting a lot of well, that's, a, that's an interesting issue though. When we talk about quarterbacks, right? Because yeah, I was bumping them up quite a bit on the, uh, Tarad Taylor, uh, just throw it down the sideline to, to Mike Williams seemed to be his favorite play. So, but, but you're, you're not putting quarterbacks into this model, correct? I get CPOE. Uh, okay. but, but, I, but it's look, I've had this argument with people before quarterbacks are in the model. I mean, it's the reception, right? It's like the depth of target. It's all there. Like, I mean, you know, it's the, you're only looking at it through the lens of the wide receiver, but it, inherently the quarterback is in there um, because he got the target. So, and, and you're taking share of team targets. So I, I think yeah, I mean, we get accused of saying nothing matters, but the quarterback. So quarterbacks also don't matter. People we're, we're equal opportunity. I, I, get, not, I get frustrated by that. I, abs- <laughs> I, I absolutely believe quarterbacks matter, but I do think it's in there. It's just it, the important right, right. parts are already in there. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm glad he's not in there just because I really don't like him as a play. I never feel confident when I see him on the list. I'm like, God, you know, here's here's Mike Williams again. Um, and also, after week two, um, I, I think Keenan Allen was on the list last week. Um, and I said, you know, he's just, all the narrative stuff is on Keenan's side. I guess he didn't have a good enough price on DK for him to be a good play on uh, for tournament play. But 
Um, but he crushed it last week, and, and, and it made a lot of sense. He had the all of the narrative stuff was on his side, and all the numbers were, were supporting that he was going to see good volume. Um, and he's also the top in the league in play action target. So again, these th- all these things tend to continue to converge when you're looking at uh, when you're looking at players who you might want to target uh, that maybe uh, the, the market is not uh, too hot on. Yeah, well, I guess Mike Williams not only has the quarterback thing, but he has the week one thing that you talked about. It was kind of that everything everything was bought in with him around around week one. All right, um, anyone else you wanna you wanna help us out with? Sure, Marquise Brown. Um, he uh, just this did last you not week- watch Monday Night Football? <laughs> Hundred. First of all, can you take him off of the list for the fact that he said he gained twenty three pounds in the off season and he's one hundred and eighty something pounds? I, I was he one twenty to start? Was he one hundred twenty pounds to start the off season? Is that is that what happened? I saw your tweet on that one. I was chuckling. <laughs> I was I was so tilted though. I couldn't really I couldn't really engage with you. Um, Monday Monday Night Football was just I was in a bad spot mentally. Um, but you know, I'm sure you tilt the, the Cleveland games too. So I, I think that, I think that, um, you know, Hollywood's, he's going to see, you know, he's going to catch his share. I mean, I don't think anyone doubts that he, he, he did good last year when he was healthy. Um, so long as he's not banged up, uh, I think, especially, you know, this week, uh, a lot of people are talking about the spot, but I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, a bounce back week is probably in order for a whole host of reasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just even with a not so great week three, still, still in the mix. Um, any other names? Well, I, I don't want to give it all away here. Okay, well, let me just do one more. Let me just do one more. It's only one week, you know. You, you know. All right. <laughs> uh, one guy, I'm actually really. Uh, so this is more of a throwaway, but Chris Conley. So the past two weeks, uh, maybe it's just the past week, DJ Chark was out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if DJ Chark continues to be out. Chris Conley has seen a lot of targets, man. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, He's dropped a lot of targets too. Exactly. And drops are not sticky. So, you know, that's the, exactly the kind of guy that I want the model to pick up on because uh, people are going to say, well, you see those drops and, Boy, he's bad, and he's always been a fringe player. Well, no, that's not entirely true. Last year, he was on the the buy low model a couple of weeks, and he almost won me a game against uh, our friend Peter, Peter Overzet in the head to head GPP. So, I think I think Chris Conley is. Uh, I, I'm always excited to see him on the list, especially when his price is 3,700 on DK. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing sports sites in the USA, Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. I know it's been hard during the past several months to keep a routine, stay in shape, hit all those fitness goals that you want. It's never going to be easy, but it can get a little bit easier with MooseFit. The difference with MooseFit is you're not trying to do it all on your own. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership, and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create your own program for you. No two programs are the same. For PFF listeners... 
Use the promo code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co. Now we're going to jump into more of uh, feelings of what's going on so far this this year with different teams. So the conceit here is that we're going to go back and forth. We're going to draft teams from each conference, starting with the AFC, then we'll go over to the NFC. Um, I think what we'll do is maybe we'll do five for each conference, so it'll be a little bit off, but then we'll flip back uh, on the other side. And I've compiled here rankings from ESPN and their Football Power Index, our simulations as far as how often teams will make it there, um, some information from Football Outsiders, and then also some betting odds from 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 DraftKings. So we can kind of compare and contrast all these different things versus what people's feelings may be on it. And the important parts here is it's not only going to incorporate who is the best team, but you have to account for things like uh, their current record uh, when it comes to the case of the the Chiefs versus the Ravens, the head-to-head now. So the Ravens have to have to have to be a game out in front of them for for something like that to work. Um, all, all those different things. So sounds good. Do you care AFC, NFC, which way? Do you want me to set you up to, to draft the Ravens or do you not want to draft the Ravens? Yeah, let me draft the Ravens. I'll let you draft the Ravens. Okay, well, we'll make it easy. Let's start with AFC. I'll start first then. And... I will take the Ravens. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm going to take. I'm going to take the Chiefs. Uh, although, you know, if you would ask me this on Monday, um, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I get into this thing where if there is a very logical play, I mean, the Ravens were three and a half point favorites in the game. They had been more dominant this year. They were the superior team by most metrics last year. Yet, most people were thinking. You know, I kind of like the Chiefs in this matchup where I'm surprised the Ravens were such a big favorite. So when that starts to happen, I kind of go too far the other direction because like it's tapping in on not only do I love to to you know the, the, trust the market and what these because the, the, those normally that's that's driven by by sharp action. I know people think that betting markets are driven by trying to equal out the books, but it, it's really not because people they can get so much money down at the end that they don't want to have stuff hanging out there. They're going to get crushed on at the end. So, so there's that faction. And I just like to be against the public at all times. That's why that's how I, that's how I don't, don't build my Twitter following. Um, so anyway, so, so, so that being said, I think after that, because of the fact that they have this, they have the one game advantage in the standings and because of the fact that they have the tiebreaker now against the Ravens. It's just going to be really difficult for anyone to to over to overcome the Chiefs. Would w- would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and and I agree with you that I mean I was on Baltimore going in last week, but I knew it was close. In fact, for me it was a coin flip. But but I was still like I was supporting Baltimore, and the reason why was I thought they would push every edge. And they, you know they came out in that first series, and it looked like it was going to be their game. And then they got to fourth down in the low red zone and they kicked a field goal. And I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not a, you know, we talked about narratives and all this, but I, I mean, the team seemed to deflate. Um, I mean, after that, you know, you, maybe it was a whole host of things. There was five drops in the game. I mean, there was lots of bad play. It seemed like every game I saw something bad happening. One player on the Ravens wasn't doing their job, whether it was a block or, or, or a guy dropping the pass or, or, or Lamar being off target. It was just it, nothing looked like it was working after that first series. But I think what the Chiefs did it kind of was kind of a rope-a-dope 
uh, in those first two weeks. <laughs> I don't think they put anything uh, on tape that because they were waiting. They thought we can get by, we can get past these two guys before we get to Kansas City, and then we'll just take out all the stops and we'll throw our playbook at them. Um, and, and so I think you know a lot of us were kind of fooled by those first two weeks, and especially the game against the Chargers. Although that may have like gotten out of hand, I don't think anyone's plan was to be down whatever it was, and only nine points through was it three quarters? It was really bad. It looked awful, and uh, and so I think yeah, I think that's why the markets moved the way they did. And and uh, but now the markets, I, as you said, have, have, have corrected, and I think it was a correct play to. I think it is the correct play to choose them to win the conference. But Baltimore is still a really strong second choice, and uh, and a lot can happen. So yeah, I mean a couple of different things about the Chiefs. So first off. Um, I think I'm still, I still think that they may be a little bit, uh, overrated as far as their chances are concerned. I mean, so, so numbers that, that I pulled here for, for, for the, for the betting, the implied probability in, uh, in betting markets is a little bit over 30%. So 32% to go to the Super Bowl versus 25 to the Ravens. Now, when I pulled these numbers, uh, based upon ESPN simulations, based upon our simulations, it was more like forty or forty-five, so substantially higher for the Chiefs. That that would be that would essentially say you should be betting this because you're getting over that implied uh, probability, and then but lower for for the Ravens. So I think the betting markets are probably uh, more aren't aren't reacting as much as 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 what these models are and then probably what what the public is i think that's fair and when it comes to the the chiefs and what they did i mean it's just really interesting to me because um this whole notion that did you buy this notion that the blitz which is kind of in the ravens dna and it didn't it didn't work and they shouldn't and they shouldn't have been doing it for some reason because of the results of this game. Now the Chargers don't have to blitz or they don't have to blitz as much because of the guys that they have up front with Ingram and Bosa up front. The 49ers who stymied um Mahomes for three quarters of the Super Bowl have a, probably a similar formula to what to what the Chargers have. Um are are you buying this this thing of uh, the Ravens maybe shouldn't have blitzed as much as they did? Um I think you don't want to have to blitz, you know, Mahomes. I don't think that's anyone's first choice. Um, but I understand why they did. I mean, they had been doing it the entirety of the the first two weeks. I mean, they were just blitz happy. Um, and look, their first round pick. I have to assume part of the reason why they why they picked uh, a linebacker like him was to help cover uh, Kelsey, and and he did not a very good job. I mean, I saw some, some film clips, you know, of how they were actually playing Kelsey. They were playing him off, um, you know, and, and I think that, that, that was a mistake as well. I mean, I don't think, I think people inside the Ravens would say the same thing. Uh, The the defense wasn't, wasn't matching up correctly with uh, that team, but you compound that with the blitzes when you give um, Mahomes, you know, easier reads, I think uh, probably a bad idea. Uh, I, I don't know, like, is 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 are the Chargers that much better on defense? I mean, I don't know that that's true. It is it familiarity? Is it their scheme cover three? I mean, what what is it that made the big difference there? And uh, I, mean, I tend to think it's the offense just not trying as hard. I don't think that Andy was being as creative as he was in this game, where he ran like every single screen he's ever designed, and um, and I think that makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean that that could be part of it, although. I'm going to be a little bit skeptical of, um, you know, the thought that that they just weren't 
they just weren't trying at, at the same level. I mean, I think, I mean, I think there were some fluky things about the game too. I mean, we could say don't blitz Patrick Mahomes on third down because he's going to take a shotgun snap and he's going to backpedal 11 yards and then he's going to find a you know receiver wide open downfield but that's just a really really tough play and I know it's a type of play he can make but you know they converted a lot of third downs in that game I mean, by, by the numbers that I ran they converted let's see 10 of 15 and the expectation based upon their position on the field, down distance, all of that would have been more like seven. So they got a three additional conversions than what you would have expected. Um, I mean, they also got additional conversions versus these other teams, but they were just such huge, ginormous, you know, impact plays that I don't know. I, I think there's just there's probably a little bit less certainty in how the result went if a few things flip a different direction. The more concerning thing was probably the Ravens offense not being able to do anything because you had the um, the kick return in there too, and and they still just we're, we're not close at all to being able to do anything. Yeah, I mean, there's been a narrative that they can't come back. Um, and I think your colleague, uh, Timo Riske, had, had a good response to that. And he said, you know, I, that's complete selection bias. And I tend to agree. The reason being is that if they were down two scores to the Jets, they would probably come back. You know, it, it, the Chiefs just kept scoring. And, and, and the Ravens had a drop pass in the end zone by Andrews, who – you know, is, is relatively sure-handed. It's just one of those fluky things. And, um, but do I, am I completely discounting the fact that, you know, Patrick Mahomes owns and is in Lamar's head? No, I, I think there's probably something to that at this point. Uh, and that is going to be a monkey. He's going to have to get off his back if they want to succeed and go deep into the playoffs. Uh, but, uh, but at the end of the day, I think it was, this was, this could have been a much closer game uh, if, if, if some of the breaks had gone uh, uh, the, the Ravens way. And, and also, it makes a lot more sense to be a blitzing aggressive defense when you're going for it on fourth down in the low red zone. I, I, there was a disconnect here in strategy that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I mean, again, with the blitz, I mean, I think you've done some work on, on uh, the blitz and its effectiveness. I talked to uh, Steven Ruiz earlier about it and it does seem like a pretty effective strategy. Generally, it's just, you, you open yourself up to these big plays and, you know, the Ravens happened to catch the bad end um, of of opening them up quite a few times here. So, OK, so for for the next team here in the AFC, I don't know if we need to draft the Ravens, but for, for you, but I assume that that's who you're going with here. Yep. Baltimore's and, number. So what do you think about their relative um, their relative standing to to the Chiefs? Would you would you agree with the betting markets that it's it's closer than um than, than some of the dominant Chiefs numbers that are out there? Yeah, I mean, I think at 538, we have them as an 8% shot to get a first round buy, and the Chiefs a 52% shot to get a first round buy. So, yeah, but the reason why is because of their division and, and the team that I would have at third, which is Pittsburgh. And, and, and they only have, according to our numbers, like a 45% shot to win their division because of the strength of the other teams in there. And, and Pittsburgh's been playing well. I mean, obviously 3-0. Um, their ELO as we have it is, is just only slightly below the Ravens. I think we have them at 1638 and then the, the 1600 for, for the Steelers. So not a huge difference between the two right now. And, uh, you know, big Ben coming back has, has made a lot of difference for the Steelers as most would anticipate. Okay. So you kind of, you, you kind of front run me here on, on the number three pick mentioning the Steelers and, that's actually where I was going to go here. This is another one where I think it's difficult from a modeling perspective 
um, because of the fact that Ben wasn't there last year. Um, he's old. You don't really know what his performance is going to be. Um, like this is another one. This is this is a pretty another significant difference between what the betting markets are saying and what some of the models are saying because the betting markets have them really tied with the bills. Although it's a it's a pretty significant uh, drop off uh, b- between the two. Whereas our numbers have the Steelers at the at the, at the seventh spot. Although it's really bunched up between teams like the Bills and the and the Patriots, um, but but they're even below the Colts and the Titans also. And then uh, for football power index, it's fifth. So it's not, it's not quite as far. So I, I guess the question would be for the Steelers, um, they're kind of this, like, they are a defensive driven team from what we've seen f- from them. How much, how confident are we in that defense continuing on this year? Do you think? I mean, me personally, I'm not very confident in, in, in any defensive performance continuing, but, but I, I think, uh, you know, they certainly, can probably go into certain games with the idea that they can call plays on offense with the idea that their defense will keep them in the game. Um, I remember listening to a, a podcast, Chris Sims and Kyle Shanahan and, and Shanahan said for the first time in his life last year, there was a period during the season where he could do that and, and it affected the way he called the game. And, and, and I think that that's a real, real thing. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, to the extent that, Maybe Big Ben is, is hurting in a specific game. You know, they can take it a little easy on him and and, and then push it on the ground a little bit more. I think they are running play action. How, are they running play action more this year? It's actually something I haven't checked. I wanted to track that after what their coach said he was going to do. So let me pull this up. Do you have uh, it? I can, I can check out some of the stuff here. Let me see. Although I have it by quarterback. It looks like for play action – uh or play action rate it's yeah i mean maybe slightly it still looks like it's only about 17 percent overall although when they're in more of a of a neutral situation it's about 23 percent, so it's slightly higher but i i don't think there's there it doesn't seem like there's a big difference between what they were doing last year i think i think no, ben likes to get the ball out quickly sometimes too so maybe that's part of it they're still 29th uh by by our metric so yeah i mean that's and let's see here you know almost last and out of pocket throws that makes sense with big bender I, I think i think that's oh let's see what let's look at motion let's see percentage of motion let's see where they're at there see if they're getting fancy at all anywhere and it appears they're middle of the pack 14th in plays with motion so that's maybe that's where they've been putting uh their emphasis early on so i i, I don't know um uh, i guess my, my point was simply that they're not going to give, you know, after we've seen with Green Bay, and we'll talk about them later, I'm sure, and we've seen what, happened, what happened with Ryan Tannehill. It's just, it's this easy, easy button for the offense uh, when you run a little bit more play action, I guess, to a certain extent, most, when you use motion. And uh, for an aging quarterback, it seems like a smart thing to do. The fact that they're not doing it yet, again, kind of shouts to me that it's just something Ben doesn't like to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, these are edges, right? These are not... Uh, fixes these are like often these are presented as if hey if you ran um uh, 10% more 12 personnel you wouldn't have the shittiest offense in the in the NFL we know we know that's just that's just not how it works so uh you, you get you got to combine all these things all these things together but I, I yeah again again looking at these numbers though if anyone is looking at a team that may be a little bit under the radar um the Steelers are definitely the team where some of this probability of, of going to the Super Bowl, it seems to be flowing to them more 
Um, if Kansas City is being overrated, uh, yes, the, the, the Ravens are being underrated a little bit, but a lot, a lot of the fact that these other teams are being underrated, and one of them being the Steelers and their chance of going. I mean, the Ravens losing helps them too, of course, um, and giving them the chance to, to win that division and go. So let, let me turn it over to you for the, for the fourth pick here. Uh, it's going to be Buffalo. I think it's really, really tight, actually. But uh, I, I think Buffalo for me, and and I think it's on the string. Tight with tight with the the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and and, and the reason being, I just think that uh, they're a really sharp team. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, you're, you've heard me talk about play action a lot today. Um, but I, 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 and 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 you made the caveat. I think it's important to say that you know, like this isn't the the complete explanation. The passing is what wins in this league. And the thing that is most effective when you pass is play action. So I don't think what I'm overstating the case, even though I'm over, I'm really emphasizing play action. The fact well, it's that like, they, it's like, don't pass up free money. You know, don't yeah. pass up if someone's willing to just get, even, even if it's uh, not huge denominations, but why not take it? Right. Well, I mean, it, it can be huge. Like for, right. and, that, and, it, and it is for Buffalo over 50% of their passing yards come off play action. So they're, they are, it is hugely important to that team and, and, uh, and their offensive coordinator is calling a great season so far. And to his credit, Josh Allen is playing pretty remarkable football. I mean, it's up and down still, Um, you know, if you want to take the position that, uh, you know, he's still unpolished, I think you could, you could make that argument. If you want to take the position that he no longer has substantial upside, I think that's, that's gone. Like he has, he has done and shown a ceiling now that, uh, I don't think anyone thought was in his game coming into the season. I certainly, if you had told me coming into the season, he would start with three straight 300 plus yard games. I would think you were high. And so, and, and he's done it. So he certainly uh, deserves credit. Um, and, and he deserves for people like me to say we were wrong uh, about his, his game. And so will it continue is the question. And, um, and I'm, I'm skeptical. I think regression is coming and that's not a knock on him. I said the same thing about Patrick Mahomes and his MVP season. Um, regression comes for us all. Um, and I think for that reason, Buffalo's fourth, but I still think they have more upside just because of the way they play the game uh, on offense and uh, the structure of their offense. Um, and again, I'm, I'm alluding again to smart play calling um, uh, with Brian Dabble. And, and I think, uh, that gives them an edge over New England. Now, I mean, this may sound like I'm trying to, uh, you know, dying on a on a hill sort of sort of situation here. But were we wrong about about Josh Allen? Meaning, you know, it, it, you make a decision based upon the information you have. It was a bad um, bet, but we were wrong. Uh, I mean. Was it a bad decision? I mean, I, I guess maybe I'm just looking at this a little bit too philosophically about what wrong means or not. Because if you say, hey, we believe this is the most likely outcome for him. But I mean, for instance, when we were doing these MVP projections, you know, he did not have a 0% chance of winning the MVP, right? He had a very small chance of winning the MVP. And now that's been updated to give him to give him a higher chance of winning the MVP. But if someone hits, you know, their 95th percentile, range of outcomes does that mean you're wrong for saying that or are you saying they're they're more likely than not was something that was either overvalued a negative or undervalued a positive in the evaluation so you can not definitively but you can reasonably say that there was a mistake in 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 the evaluation of those who said he would never be good 
I, I would I would I would say that those of us who saw our priors confirmed for two straight seasons basically uh, had a level of confidence that it appears was unwarranted, and that to me is enough to say I was wrong. Um, and I think that you know, like, it, I mean, again, anything I say right now it comes off as sounding like a hater, and I'm not. I think Josh Allen has been playing beautiful ball. Like I said, he's had some great throws. Um, but I, it's a lot of it's he smells a lot like Carson Wentz to me, like a, a guy that, you know, had was hopefully, big. Hopefully not literally, but yes. Yeah, yeah, right. No, but he's big and toolsy and just all this stuff. And, 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 and maybe he has this brief window where everything works out for him, but he's very fragile. And, and I'm not just talking about in terms of injury. I just mean fragile in terms of his overall performance and that like these, we may be seeing a peak here that we never see again from him. And, and I think that's actually much more likely with a player with his profile, but all that sounds just like haterade, man. Like right now is not the time to be saying these things. Um, what I will say with a high degree of confidence though, is that regression is probably coming for him. And, and that means highly likely regression is coming for the Buffalo bills. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's another difference in how I cultivate my following is now is the time for, 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 some, <laughs> for some haterade for me. And okay. Listen, I, 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 okay. The Wentz thing is interesting because I think Wentz was a little bit different. Wentz was like, like on a heater at the craps table or something like that. Like he just kept on going. He was converting these third downs. He was, he was doing crazy stuff like that. I think for Allen, from what I'm seeing from is he's giving you the highs, but he hasn't gotten like the lows are still there in his system from the fact that, I mean, he has, he has three fumbles in the first three games and they weren't the most miscellaneous sort of fumbles. Uh, Even in this great game he had against the Rams, he took, you know, 40 yards in sacks. He got another two, like another 30 yards in these personal fouls that he tried to throw some sort of lateral pass that went out of bounds. He's missed some receivers here. So all these things are happening. Now, I agree. Overall, the, the results have been great, but I, I don't think it's a it's not a Wentz situation quite on the same level, because I feel like Wentz was like the front runner MVP type where some people have said that about about Allen, but there are plenty of things you can pick out for Allen pretty quickly to say, hey, he's not really playing on the same sort of level as these other guys, whereas Wentz kind of was playing like the best quarterback in, in the NFL for a while. So it'll be interesting to see, other than, you know, your, your Dan Orzlovskis of the world, if anyone else is actually going to say that they believe this guy is an MVP, um, you know, we, we can discount some, some, of, some of that stuff being said, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, I think there are definitely some signs that he is an improved quarterback, but probably still a middle of the pack in terms of true talent. And, and, but, but, but variance being what it is. And like I said, the easy button, the play action and all the rest of the play calling that's happening in, in Buffalo, sharp, sharp team, right? Like a team that perhaps was talked about not enough as, as a smart team. I think we have, but you know, you and I and whomever else, our circles, we, we've all known that the bills are, are, are pretty smart as an organization, but, uh, you know, aside from picking Josh Allen, it was just this weird, strange thing that a smart team that we all respect did and, and kind of like, we're ready to die on the hill. And, and Hey, look, if they beat the playoffs again with, with Josh Allen and he's playing really, really well, they deserve to, uh, you know, you know, uh, run their victory laps. Agreed. All right. So, um, I guess we're on five then for, for, for this one here. And, you know, I am going to take the Patriots. Uh, um, I thought about the Colts a little bit, but um, maybe I'm just buying. I'm buying Cam a little bit too much right right now. Um, 
I don't know. You're buying well, just- see, here's the thing with, with Cam. I mean, his, his rushing, he, he's moderated a little bit, but he's still, I think the the season where the, the most rushes he ever had in a season, he averaged something like eight a game. He was 15 in week one. I think it was 11 in week two. And then he was seven or eight last week. So he did kind of, he did, he did come down, but still he was, you know, he was, it was at an unsustainable level essentially. Um, and I know there are a lot of theories about whether it's more likely to get injured uh, rushing the ball or in the pocket. And I think sometimes those stats are deceptively presented because they're presented as if you get hit on a running play, it's less likely you get injured than you get hit in the pocket. Yeah. But if you run the ball, especially like how Cam Newton runs the ball, you're going to get hit a lot more often on a running play than you're going to get hit in the pockets. That's why the, those those stats always annoy me a little bit to see that to see to see those numbers put side by side next to each other because they're not apples to apples in in right. those situations. Um, so that I mean that's a that's a slight concern. The defense continuing to be a turnover factory and a touchdown factory on the defense. Now with two defensive touchdowns so far this year is a little bit concerning because all of their opponents have been pretty good. Actually Fitzpatrick wasn't that great. And and the dolphins, they they held them pretty well, but you know, the Raiders were, were decent as far as their play success uh, in in that game. Uh, The Seahawks of course were, were great in that game minus the, the, the pick six there that was a little bit fluky it was on a drop so uh, that that concerns me a little bit as a defense because i think that drives their ratings and a lot of these different formulas like um is the fact that you're still assuming that defense is there but you had the opt-outs you had everything else so i'm wondering if that's a little bit more fragile which which would concern me because i'm not quite sure the offense is you know the fifth best offense in in in, i mean it it could be but but i I, it's you know when you talk about the titans and some others i think are pretty strong offensively you make good points, and, and especially with our 538 ELO, we are holding on to a pretty strong prior from last year, and they were the number one defense, and that basically means nothing. Um, uh, but, I mean, I mean, it does, but over over the course of the season, it ends up meaning very, very little, and we have not decayed that prior yet. So I think uh, I think that maybe is propping them up, but I think one of the things, and I've said this a couple times, is think about Cam that's so dangerous about him is he'll pass you into the red zone and then run it in for you. That's amazing, all in one package, and like that. I mean, that is analytics in in a nutshell, and 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 I think to have that in a player who, you know, he's he looks like he can continue to do it. He doesn't look dinged up yet. Uh, um, they're I think overusing him in the red zone. Like I, I just that's my worry. I didn't expect that much of it. I expected they were going to give it to Sony, who is not good in the open field. Like he's not a guy you want you know, give him a big hole and he'll take it to the house. Now that's not happening with Sony Michelle. So I, he's a bigger bodied guy that you would think you would want to take the lumps. Um, but, you know, so far it's been Cam. And and uh, uh, if that changes, if they get a little more, mm, I don't know, protective of Cam in the red zone, like maybe not not not, not the rushing, but those, you know, uh, designed QB runs where he puts his head down and plows through. Um, if, if there's a, a couple, couple less of those a game, um, I don't see any reason why they can't continue. So I like, I like New England as a pick, pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then another thing there, which is interesting is I look through like their third down conversions, how often they were doing that over expectation throughout the years. I mean, they were really strong. They're surprisingly strong. Cause you would assume that third down, um, at least in the NFL nowadays, um, if it's third or third and two, 
you're passing the ball like 70% of the time. If it's third and three, third and four, the passing rates are so huge. Yet they were a team that was consistently converting far above what their expectation was when you had Cam as quarterback. So I, yeah, I think the goal line becomes a big focus because he, he, he ran it on the goal line like 17 times in that Seahawks game. But the reality is you can just pick up a lot of free um, first downs when you have him being able to, to run the ball in those situations. And I think that's, that's like a really nice enhancement that you wouldn't necessarily think of those third and mediums that he can, he can just help you pick those up sometimes where a lot of teams can't do that. All right, let's, let's go NFC and, and get through this. Well, who, this is, this is a, this is probably the biggest pick I would say of the entire, uh, of the entire thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you and then immediately argue against whatever you choose. Go for Sounds it. Good. It's going to be Seattle for me. And, 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 and it's not that close. And the reason why. Whoa. Is- okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, from, now this is all, this is all. Are you tr- you're trying part. to get in a video. You're trying to get a cable Thanos video now, but go ahead. That's right. That's right. It, 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 it's it's going to be Seattle. And, and and look, I think coming into this season, people like you and I have probably argued not as much as, as some, but pretty strongly that we need to let Ross cook. And Ross is finally cooking, but I never imagined it would look like this. Like this is incredible. Setting a touchdown record over the first three first three weeks. I mean, Russ has looked insane. And, and I, I thought maybe in the first game, um, like that fourth down play where he threw the, uh, the deep go to, to, to Metcalf. Um, I, I actually kind of thought it was Seattle's coaching staff daring him to fail. Like, you know, here you go, here you go. See what you can do with this, you know? And, and then he scored the touchdown. And I think, I think it's almost been that way, or at least it was in those first few games where the, the, the staff was like, okay, we're going to put you in these really horrible situations to see how you, well you do. And more often than not, except for the end of the game um, that they lost, he, he's come through. And so I think, uh, or excuse me, they didn't lose the game. They came, they came back and won. But it was, a, uh, it was a third down at the end of the game where they ran run run and then they passed on third down and he did it and he, and he went deep again and he missed the, missed the pass. Um, and, and so uh, they had to uh, stop and then come back and score again. So no, they're three and zero. Correcting myself here, but uh, I think that the, the again the coaching staff has put him in positions to fail almost so that they could say I told you so, and he continues to thrive. And so I'm betting on Russ. It's all about the QB. Um, their defense is pretty trash um, for whatever that's worth. Um, but I think you know I think the team believes in him. I think uh, you know they lost their their running back. I don't think that matters uh, too terribly much. Um, um, so I don't know, you could, you could pick lots of holes in them, but at the end of the day, they have rust. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know which way I would have gone. I guess you'll find out soon when I, when I choose the, the, the second pick, but so here's my concern. And I think, I think I may have mentioned this before is just, you know, they did have in 2016 and 2017, I don't know if they were letting Russ cook or if they just really needed Russ to throw the ball a lot because the team was not good, but they did, you know, up their pass percentage significantly. And it just happened to be some of their worst years. And then they, they decided to reinvent, you know, to go back to this ground and pound. um, I'd say putting Russ in a lot of these high leverage situations, which he was doing well at, as opposed to, uh, having him be the the focal point of the offense and then they had some success in that and now they're kind of flipping back in the other way so my concern with them would be like imagine if they would have lost that patriots game um i don't know if it it couldn't really be blamed on russ because he did so well but 
you know, he's going to have some bad games. He's not going to, he, he's not the type of player who goes through the entire season having these, these types of games. It's because he, he has a lot of like big, big plays that aren't necessarily going to happen. So my concern would be if they start to have some of those bad plays, are we going to see a slight reversal? Are we going to see a tightening essentially? Are they going to, is it going to get a little, little tight, a little tight in the shorts? You know, there's like, what are, what are those sort of situations going, going down, down the stretch? And that's what I would be concerned about. Or is this truly like a, a, a new era in Seattle? Well, I mean, if the question is, will there be regression? Yes. I mean, he's, he has the best <laughs> start ever in history. So uh, yeah. well, more like the coaches, will the coaches, will, will the coaching be like, you know what? We lost this game to, I don't know, whatever piddly team that they end up playing against just because it happens sometimes, and they're going to start to go back. I mean, even the beginning of last season, I mean, they almost lost, I think it was week one, to the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, so that kind of reinforces this idea of we need to grind out these games as opposed to doing anything with too much uh, risk associated with it. Yeah, I think, you know, again, though, some things that kind of argue against that are these injuries to Carson. And I mean, I, I, how much faith do they have in the backup running backs? Um how much faith do they have in the passing uh, protection of the offensive line now? I think that, that that's been kind of a revelation this year, or maybe that was driving a lot of the decision-making for a team that really prides itself on building up front first uh, on both. Uh, well, I guess not on the defense, but certainly on the offense. They, they I remember they were trying for a while to turn highly athletic big men into linemen. Um, I remember there was a spark movement in Seattle for a while and they had a, uh, Gosh, I don't know if it was a guard or, or a tackle, but he, he was a highly athletic guy and he was just not really good in technique wise. So they had all these projects along the line and now maybe they're just more, much more comfortable. And certainly Russ seems to be comfortable back there. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think it's important though, to like, you know, frame this. I don't, I don't think Seattle is anywhere near the best team in the league. Um, certainly the best team in the NFC, but um, well, not certainly, but I think the best team in the NFC. Um, and, but I, I wouldn't, I'm not even, I don't know if I would put them third or fourth in the league right now. Like that, the, the question between them and Pittsburgh, because Pittsburgh just seems like a more balanced team um, is I think an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the letting Russ cook is interest is, is, is a, a big factor. I kind of think like DK Metcalf is really a big factor. I mean, the guy's just a freak, right? So if you have him out there, I think that also does a lot of stuff for, for the offense. And I don't subscribe to the fact that higher volume means efficiency will go down, but I don't think there's any reason higher volume will necessarily help, help efficiency either. But you have you, when you have a guy like that out there, I do think that that can be a, a game changer on offense. So second here, and I'm kind of ambivalent about this, honestly, because there, the part of there's, like I said, this contrarian part of me wants to say, Hey, the 49ers are, you know, yeah, they lost Nick Bosa, but they they may be, they're a lot closer I think to the Packers and the Seahawks than a lot of people think still. Um, but I'm still gonna the I'm still gonna go with the Packers. You're very close to quarterbacks. Don't matter, Dave. This is really good. <laughs> well, Nick Mullins, I should pull up some of these efficiency stats. That guy's <laughs> awesome. Um, so yeah, so I, but I'm still gonna take the Packers, even though I think their defense is suspect. I'm kind of hoping that the defense will be better than than a lot of teams think. I know the Saints were. We're actually pretty good if you look at some of the numbers, but I think Drew Brees has is, is been put out to pasture by some a little bit too early. So that's why I'm going to go with the Packers. Now, would you can go ahead and, and choose here, I think, so we can kind of debate between the two. Would you have gone Packers or 49ers next or another or a surprise team? Uh, third or second? Uh, for second. For second, I would have gone Green Bay, yeah. 
Green Bay was okay. my okay. was my second choice, and and I thought it was actually relatively close with Seattle, but again, I um, I, I went with Russ. Um, but my third team is, is is a surprise. I think even after their loss, I think LA is probably the third best team in in the NFC, and uh, um, I. I I just no. I I don't have a really strong take on it. Their quarterback is not amazing, um, but their play calling again. This is just going to be my theme through the first three games of the season. Their play calling has been quite good. Um, they're, they're, they're you know they don't make the best decisions <laughs> at the end of the half and the game in terms of timeout management. They don't make very good decisions when it comes to fourth down. Um, you know, I, I, if, if, if Sean McVay could get his act together on these really, this low hanging analytical fruit, I really think they would have a pretty incredible team. Um, because I think that is that free money we've been talking about, uh, that can give them some serious edges in, in games where it's close. Um, and they're going to need it because they don't have an all world quarterback. Um, there isn't a whole lot of room for error when the, when, uh, the, 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 the dance that McVay does with his play calling doesn't quite work. Um, so, uh, but I do, I, I think they're, I think they're good for third. You know, speaking of that dance, um, they're really leaning into running the ball. I mean, they are, they're, they're passing less than 50% of the time, but the thing is their run game has just been amazing this year. I mean, they're number one in success rate uh, going by, uh, you know, plays with positive EPA running the ball. They're number one on uh epa per play running the ball and look at their they box are counts. look at their box counts though this is a sean McVay staple um they 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 put themselves in great situations so that they structurally have an advantage running the ball and and i, and I think that's why it's so good no i agree i agree that they put themselves in a sort of advantage but if you just look at the number i mean let, let me let me pull it up here so if you look at their rush epa per play it's almost as high as their pass, and it is. Well, actually, Green Bay is pretty high here, but it's you know it's it's point two two per play, which is similar to like an awesome passing offense, basically. So they're at the they're near the top. Um, the Cardinals are near the top because they get a lot of Kyler Murray has actually been part of that, but then it drops off pretty quickly. So but I guess my, my concern with them is they're relying on the run so much and. They're doing it so often, and it's been so good that does does if, if any of that starts to fall apart, is there a problem? Basically, yeah. I mean, it's I, I guess that's a concern, but I mean, then you look at the people they're doing it with. You would be you would be making an argument, I think, for offensive line injuries or uh, some kind of uh, some kind of like catch up by the league, like what happened with Belichick in the Super Bowl, where he just he got he got figured out. Um, I, I think, you know, he had a season where things weren't great last year, uh, where his play calling was a little off and maybe it was still in his head, but it seems like he's got it back together and, and maybe he has more answers this year. And if that's the case, I would be less inclined to believe it's just going to go away. Um, um, and especially with a running back who, I mean, Henderson is, he, I mean, it's not like he has a pedigree like Gurley. It's not like anyone's making that argument anymore that the engine of this offense is running through a particular player in the backfield. It's uh, um, you know, that's a running back. I, I don't think anyone's making that argument anymore. All right. I like it. Now, this is actually, this is another one where I'm kind of extreme ambivalence on, on, on between the, the Bucks and 
the 49ers. I just had all these teams grouped up uh, so tight right here. I think I'm going to go 49ers, though, just because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer, obviously, in, in what Shanahan's doing offensively and the way that's been able to translate to different different quarterbacks. I mean, they've been good this year. I know they lost the first game to Arizona, but that game included, um, I think it was a block punt. It included a 20-something yard scramble touchdown from Kyler Murray. It included a busted coverage almost 40 yard touchdown. I know you've been living and dying probably by some of these, these 49er games. Uh, you've watched the all 22. You, you, you know, everything that's, that's going on there. So why don't you tell me why you're, why I'm wrong? Because I feel like 49er fans are really in a position there. There, there is not doom and gloom, but they're not fighting for their team like Packers or Seahawks or other fans are. I think there's a, there's there's almost there's a little bit of a fear of of this incoming Super Bowl hangover regression coming. Well, I mean, you've got the Super Bowl regression narrative. You've got the loss of your best defensive player. You've got the loss of your quarterback. And you really don't have a lot of receivers. I mean, there's not a ton to be excited about or hopeful about on that team. It's being held together by like you know, I don't know, twine and silly putty and like, you know, and, and Shanahan. And I don't know how long that can continue. Um, but of all the teams that you could name um, with a quarterback who just came off a Super Bowl appearance, um, I would, I would think they're the, probably the, the one that could survive the loss of their quarterback the easiest. Um, and and you, we made the joke about Nick Mullins and, and last year, or the, the year that Garoppolo was hurt, so two years ago, um, he actually was quite good. Um, he took over for C.J. Beathard and, and played pretty well. And and some people were saying, you know, well, gosh, we don't need Garoppolo, um, which is a bit of an overstatement. I think Garoppolo does bring something to the table. But um, there isn't a huge drop-off there, I don't think. And uh, so, I mean, he'll keep him in games. Uh, Shanahan will keep him in games. Uh, how important is one edge rusher? I guess they also lost Solomon Thomas. I mean, how important is depth at the uh, at the edge? Probably pretty important, um, but probably not as important as some people say, as you guys like to point out at PFF. So uh, who knows? They could weather the storm and uh, and still make a run at the division. You know what's interesting? Um, your, I mean, not not that not that it's too predictive, but it's it is interesting to see that as of right now. The NFL leader in point differential is the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I mean, I know they play two poor teams, but it, it reminds me a little bit of last season when they started off like gangbusters and there was this overhang of, well, they haven't played anybody yet. You know, they're beating up on on, on awful competition. They're beating up on awful t- competition. Well, you know, good teams beat up on awful competition. So yeah, you could say they played the jets and the giants back to back, but they really thumped them. Um, and they're plus 41 points, which is like I said, actually leads the NFL right now uh, with the Ravens at plus plus 35 after that. Of course they got dis- oh, actually no way it's the, it's the Packers after that at plus 37. So, you know, they, they've been okay. I think, I think they, they've, they've been okay this year. And I think maybe if they have a, have a good game, um, against some a quality opponent and can come through, people will will change their opinion a little bit on that. They have the Eagles, so this is another game where hopefully they can they can win a game that they should should this week. All right, let's um, let's 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 get number number five then here from from you, uh, our last pick of the NFC. So this was a little spicy. I'm gonna, I'm going to go with Dallas, uh, one and two Ooh. team uh, hasn't shown very well, but 
in my opinion, is much better than their record. And 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 it's not you know entirely supported. Like their their score differential is is not you know incredible. Um, but I do think that they have better play in them. Um, I think Dak and his surrounding cast, uh, you know, coupled with the threat of Elliott is, is pretty powerful on offense and their defense is fun. So I think, uh, you know, as the fifth best team in the NFC, um, I think it's, uh, I think people are going to count them out too soon. And this is just my way of saying we're only three games in Dallas is a good team still. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're close. So it's not like, it's not that big of a, of a stretch. I mean, I guess the point would be, I'm almost more interested on the teams you didn't pick than the teams that you did pick Um, specifically the saints, because they were probably the favorite. Well, I don't know. They were probably, okay. They're probably the favorite if only because uh, the favorite to go to the Super Bowl, if only because the 49ers were in a very difficult division, then the 49ers had some issues and the Packers have kind of proven some people wrong. So they were, they were at least near the top. Oh, the, I mean, com- very- com- coming into the season, it was Casey, Baltimore, San Francisco, and the Saints. That's what it was. Yeah. I right. mean, so, it, so, so, we're so, so you're ready. buying, you're buying. I mean, well, number one, they're one and two, so that's that's a, that's a factor. Obviously, that's going into it. Although within the division, they they do have um, they, they do have a win there. But are are you buying the breeze falling off? Uh, what, what are you buying as part of this? I guess I'm buying that of the teams that those four teams that you named at the beginning of the season, the, the team I picked when I was talking to people to be the the one that would disappoint, I always picked the saints. And it was because mm-hmm. coming into the season, I thought they had the quarterback with the least skill. Um, and, 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 and not because, not because I think Garoppolo is better, like in a, in a grand sense than, than, than breeze, but that breeze hasn't really been the quarterback he was for, for, for a minute. And, uh, and I think people are kind of seeing that. And especially in this last, you know, nationally televised game, I don't know if his arm is shot. Uh, You would have to consult a tape watcher who really is really good at uh, analyzing quarterback play. He certainly don't, don't consult two tape watchers because then you'll have conflicting opinions. That's right. And and because I mean, you know, sometimes it does look really bad to me. Um, And then other times like on the touchdown pass, uh, second touchdown pass of the night uh, on uh, when was it uh, Sunday night football? I believe uh, he, he, he gunned it into the back of the end zone and had a, quite a bit of zip on it, but he was double clutching early on in the game quite a bit. And he seemed uncomfortable or unconvinced about what he was seeing. And so my take is this, my take is if he has lost something and he's not admitting it, but it's only like, you know, 10% of what he was, but it's affecting his ability to make decisions on the field. That's a big deal. Like, we could be right or wrong about it. His arm is quote unquote shot, but if he isn't comfortable and he isn't confident and he isn't making decisions on time right now, you know, that's a big deal for that offense. And for that reason, mostly um, I'm down on him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I can't argue too far against that. I mean, it is, the numbers maybe haven't been as bad as people think. I mean, obviously they've, they've been good at running the ball. Um, well, make sure you account for even, Yak. Just make sure you account for Yak. Well, that's what's interesting because, um, you know, QBR, ESPN's QBR, uh, I believe accounts for that. And I, I think it was after adjustments. I think there were adjustments to this, so it wasn't raw. But um, I saw that Breeze had a higher QBR than Aaron Rodgers did in, in, in that game um, where <laughs> – 
<laughs> you know. Uh, so well, I, mean, I think in week two, uh, Baker Mayfield had the, the ninety six. So it, sometimes it spits out some 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 strange stuff. Um, well, yeah, on low volume, that can definitely happen because it's an efficiency metric, right? So, yeah, so so for some, when when Baker Mayfield, I think, is only throwing it like 20 times a game and he got intercepted in what, according to the model, was a low leverage situation, even though the Bengals ended up making it somewhat competitive at, at the end. So, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. No, but, but but back to Dallas for a second, and then and then we'll wrap up. When we're talking about... Okay, are you seeing anything with what they're doing that give that gives you more encouragement in this changeover to with Mike McCarthy that is also part of of giving them this perspective perspective rating of uh, above the Saints and above the Bucks? Yeah, I mean, so I know he came and visited with you guys at PFF, and and, I, and there was a lot of me, talk me just me personally, actually. Well, you know, you <laughs> you know the royal you. Uh, I, yeah. I think that I think that uh, I think that that kind of was my prior coming into the season that he was going to be a guy who was going to push some edges. He seems to be making those noises. Um, again, he did go for the two that you've written about eloquently that uh, Timo wrote about recently on PFF that I recommend everyone read. Just tremendous article, and as well as yours. Uh, I think it's behind a paywall, so yours is free. Um, his is, goes in a little more in-depth about some other um, ways of thinking about football situations that I think is really useful. Um, but, you know, as you pointed out in your article on predictive football, it's, it's you know, there's different ways of looking at, at, at situations. One of them is purely logical. And, and, and the two-point conversion uh, decision-making is often just a pure logic-based decision. And, uh, and, and to have a coach that recognizes that um, is, I think, a powerful thing. Uh, you have a good offense, as I mentioned. And, uh, and I think you couple those two things together with Kellen Moore, who, who's shown he can put together stretches of really good play calling um, that I, I'm bullish on him. I mean, I don't think we should discard our priors about that team simply because they had a one and three start or one and two start. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they had even the game they eventually ended up winning. They had a ton of fumbles. They've had a, some 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 unlucky luck that, that they've unlucky plays that they've come back with for. So, yeah, I'm high on them. Um, I'm just maybe sticking a little bit stronger to to some of the preseason priors than you are. But anyway, this is this has been great. Thank you for for hanging in here. Not only doing the air yard stuff. Um, we again, again, if any are wrong, please please at Frisco Josh. Um, but you can find his stuff at Establish the Run. Five thirty eight uh, articles coming out there. Uh, a writer, NFL writer there. So again, Josh, I appreciate you coming on, and it was uh, it was good to talk to you, man. Yeah, great to see you again. Man. 